Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcasts. A very special episode today as we're joined by professional racing driver, TV commentator, and Motorsport UK board member, Karun Chandok. We're looking ahead to the Bahrain test this week and discussing what was learned from Barcelona. Should the teams have foreseen the porpoising issue? And can all the teams fix any issues completely within the timescale and the budget restrictions? Karun also talks about how international sporting bodies have taken a stance against Russian and Belarusian athletes. And he discusses, from his perspective, the responsibility of professional sports people as influencers and those looked up to. Finally, we look at the driver lineups following Max Verstappen's long-term commitment to Red Bull Racing and which driver pairings he thinks are the ones to watch this year. Karun is joined today by GP Racing Magazine editor Ben Anderson and your host Alex Kalanorkis. Alex, over to you. Welcome to the podcast today. My first guest is former Formula One driver and current Sky Sports F1 pundit, Karun Chandok. Karun, 2022 Formula One cars have finally hit the track. Does it finally feel like a fresh F1 season is right around the corner? Yes. I mean, finally, we've seen 10 cars and, you know, we're back to going testing and talking about 
who's quick and who's not and applying all the billions of caveats where nobody really has an answer and we're all just making it up anyway. So um, it kind of feels like standard <laughs> pre-season. I have to say I'm really optimistic that going into the season, we're going to have 10 cars that actually all look different and that's cool. And it's, it's, it's yeah, no, very, very pleased to finally have cars back on track this year. Absolutely. I mean, from a technical point of view, they're all they're all pretty damn difficult. But in terms of just visually, the liveries, looking at them tracks out of Barcelona, I think it's one of the best looking grids in years, just looking at the colour schemes. I think more to the point, does it design? You know, there's all these sceptics, especially from the engineers who said that the cars are all going to end up looking the same and, you know, the rules are too restrictive and it's, it's you know, it's hurting and curbing their creativity. But in the end, lo and behold, we've got 10 cars that all look very different and you know, you look at also philosophically, there's some big differences, right? You know, you've got this Ferrari, which has gone for the big, wide side pods uh, and sort of taken a hass down that path along, <laughs> along with them. And then you've got eight teams have gone the other direction. One of them's got it right, one of them's not. But we'll find out on Saturday in Bahrain. Now, before we delve into fully analysing and interpreting what we saw in Spain last week, I need to introduce my second guest for today's podcast. It's GP Racing Editor, Ben Anderson. How are you, Ben? And also, how did you follow the test uh, live last week, given there was no TV coverage for a change? Yeah, with difficulty, I had to uh, consume the uh, the output from the likes of yourself on the ground in Barcelona, um, gaining what snippets I could, looking at the pictures. Um, so I provide, I guess, a bit more of the outsider's fan perspective of what was going on. Um, I'm looking forward to learning from you two uh, in more detail what actually is going on uh, and how the, sh- how the shakedown uh, uh, really panned out. But actually, though, Ben, I, we've, we've been watching trackside preseason testing before. Yeah. And, and it's only the last two days that matter, really, isn't it? Because yeah, car- yeah, there's yeah. so many new bits and people are trying to... And this year, more so than before. So actually... I know everyone's really upset that the first test wasn't televised, but I actually think it's kind of irrelevant anyway. You know, all the teams, yeah. you know, have already talked about the hundreds of new bits they're bringing to Bahrain. So, yeah, it would have been nice to see the cars on their first day. But after that, it's, you know, watching preseason testing yeah. in Bahrain is, is going to be much more relevant. But testing is boring for telly anyway. You know, yes, try talking about to make it. it work, oh they? god, <laughs> try talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's much better when there's this air of mystery, and you've got you know, I'm not usually a fan of shutting people out, but you know, having this kind of select group of people who go hardcore, dedicated to have a look, trying to drip feed the the interesting bits out, it creates more excitement for me. Well, I'm I all about shutting people out at the moment. I'm I'm on a whole blocking <laughs> spree on social media. There's all sorts of blocking I've done the last four weeks. It's been great fun. <laughs> But but Karun, on on the on the broadcasting, how how different is it? You know, um, live commentating on a test as opposed to a race, or or even a practice session when when things are you know pretty not standard, but you sort of you can tell that you know the run plans are generally similar. How do you guys go about covering four hours where maybe if the teams are making lots of changes to their cars, they they might only come out for half an hour of that uh, of that of that time span. I remember doing one day in Barcelona actually, where it was just after the lunchtime lull, and literally just Kimmy and his alpha was droning around on his own for the first hour. I was like, what do you talk about? But it's a bit like test cricket, isn't it? It gives you the chance to go off and talk about all these other subjects and all sorts of topics and make these predictions for the season that you'll probably get wrong. And, you know, all it's just, it's just quite good to spend a bit of time talking about wider subjects about in the sport and the, 
there's lots of stuff outside the car, isn't it? There's the, the paddock gossip, there's the politics, there's the engine rules for 26, there's all sorts of other, other subjects to talk about, the inter-driver dynamics between George and Lewis or Max and Lewis or, you know, uh, Fernando and, and Ocon. There's, there's always, you could pick a topic and, um, and, and talk about it. So I, I, I actually use a cricket analogy where testing's like test cricket, free practice sessions are like one day internationals and qualifying the race are like 2020s where it's go, go, go. Um, and that's kind of, kind of the mindset really. Amping up in action. I like that. Well, it's, that's kind of a, a nice way uh, you put it there with the sort of, um, you know, bring, being able to talk about other topics and, and news agenda things, because that's, that's where we're going to start on the podcast today. Obviously, I mean, really in all of our lives, there is one news story that's, that's dominating everything. Um, and that's the horrifying war, unfortunately, developing in Ukraine following Russia's invasion. It's your regular reminder that sport and politics are intrinsically linked. And that, of course, has had a knock on impact on motorsport. The Russian Grand Prix for this year is cancelled and the FOA has banned any Russian symbols from its events but it will allow Russian drivers to compete under a neutral FIA flag but other global organisations have gone further some haven't some have though banned Russian teams and athletes from competition entirely now things are slightly more nuanced when we consider motorsport and, and, the, and the sport that we cover ourselves because there are, there are no really no national teams other than things like the, the motorsport game series that the FIA is trying to get off the ground but with drivers you know they're competing for essentially private business squads under the flag that their licences are issued under but here in the UK Karun as you know well we're going to come on to that uh, the governing body motorsport UK has taken things a step further and has in fact banned Russian licensed drivers and teams from taking part in motorsport events in this country. Um, Karin, you're, you're, you're very well placed to comment on this. You're on the board of directors at Motorsport UK. I just wondered if you could explain for our listeners why uh, this country's ASN has seems to have gone a significant step further than the FIA itself. We looked at where the Olympic, the IOC, obviously positioned their, their view on, on the situation. We looked at it and immediately after the meeting that the FIA had to to discuss the issue and obviously issued their their conclusions we had a whole uh, night of emails and conversations and phone calls between the board members at, at motorsport uk and i think we unanimously agreed that we needed to take a stronger stance more in line with the ioc uh, and and a stronger stance that the fia has taken so if you look at skiing, if you look at other sports, they've taken a much stronger stance than the FIA have. And I think, you know, there are certain times in life which we're looking at it right now and it, it it's, it's something that's been instigated clearly by one side and therefore there has to be some form of repercussions. Indeed. And, and it's an interesting um, reference you make there with the IOC's decision and the FIA not aligning itself with that, because under the previous John Todd regime, the FIA was forging very close ties with the IOC, signing up to its charters and things like that. Um, but Ben, I mean, do you think um, that the FIA will take any further steps when it comes to banning Russian drivers and also uh, Belarusian drivers as well? Obviously, they've made their opening gambit trying to tread a difficult line between individuals and, and entities. I mean, sport is intrinsically linked with politics, and it's a it's a a symbol of national pride. This is why Russia gets so upset when it's drawn into doping scandals in the Olympics, and athletes have to compete under neutral colours or you know special associations that are set up and not directly linked to linked to Russia. It's not quite the same as obviously sanctions and military support for the, for the Ukrainians, but it's it's another way of applying pressure. I feel sorry for Russian people who don't support this particular conflict but you've got to hit the country where it hurts everywhere you can 
as Corinne says, other sports have taken a much harder line, excluding Russia from and Russian teams from other competitions. Makes sense. It's a policy of isolation, and you need to do it in all the strands you can to exert the maximum maximum pressure. Um, I think the FA has kind of maybe got this one slightly wrong, um, trying to you know maybe take sympathy with the view that Daniel Kvyat expressed, um, where sport can be kind of a unifying thing and. If you're an individual that doesn't support what Russia is doing, should you be punished in the same way as the country? But ultimately, I think you have to take a, a blanket approach. I think what Motorsport UK has done is the right thing. Um, there's always going to be some, it's an unfortunate phrase, collateral damage in these kind of situations. There's no perfect answer. But sport is always a patriotic thing, really, in terms of expression, in terms of support. Um, so if you are trying to isolate the Russian regime for what it's doing in Ukraine, you have to you have to take a blanket approach, I think, and say no. You just can't come in. Maybe the FA was banking on the effect, the consequences unraveling themselves. They didn't need to to take the stand, but I think in terms of the message it sends, I think you need to be kind of consistent and and absolute in this particular case. I think it's also interesting that F one seem to be taking a stronger stand in the FIA, haven't they? You know, they've announced this week that they've cancelled all future Russia Grand Prix as well. The, ca- the contract with the promoter has been cancelled altogether. So it's not just for this year, it's going forward. So it, it does seem like Formula One as an organisation. I think this is where perhaps people listening at home and the public don't, aren't as well-versed to how um, separate Formula One is from the FIA. They are two different organisations who do two different things, working in the same sport, but doing very different roles. And, Again, F1 seemed to have taken a stronger stand than the FIA. Yeah, maybe because they feel they need to be a bit more neutral or even-handed um, because of the nature of the organisation. But Ms. Karun was saying, for a lot of people, this is kind of an unprecedented time and it, I think it requires unprecedented steps and, and unity as well. People, You need strong action and strong statements. And when you see the likes of Roman Abramovich having to put Chelsea FC up for sale, um, you know that this is the kind of pressure that's being exerted now on, on Russian individuals connected to the government and the Russian administration itself and um, I think all bodies that can need to need to show support in putting the maximum pressure they can to try and end this kind of conflict as soon as possible and there's also a certain amount of um you know what can the what can athletes and, and, in, and in, in motorsports case drivers what what statements can they make what actions potentially could they take and also things the concept of responsibility personal responsibility in times like these and um, it's really interesting being in the press conferences they're they're back in person uh compared to where they were on zoom although you can still join in on zoom if, if needs be um the, the first one a bit of a waste of time because most of the drivers in it had not driven the cars yet but when events developed in ukraine lots of drivers you know, were offering their thoughts. Some of them weren't. I, I know. I, I listened to Charles Leclerc and was quite disappointed in him saying, "You know, I, 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 I don't. I need to understand more. I need to. I need to things like that." It's like, well, it's a war. You know, you can. It's quite easy to come out on on what is essentially the the, the correct side there. And um, but at the same time, I understand it is difficult. You don't want to upset your sponsors, your team, your things like that. So, Karuna, I wanted to ask you. You know, as a, as a, as a professional driver, what's it what's it like having that? sort of responsibility is it part of the job to have a sort of a moral compass and explain things like we see Sebastian Vettel doing like Lewis Hamilton has done so many times over the last years or or, or is it not is it is it is it something different I, I, I firmly believe that as a public figure you have a responsibility to take a stand um, and, and you know I've I've said it many times in the last few years. I really applaud what Lewis and Sebastian in particular have done. People like Lando, you know, he was one of the first drivers to take a knee and, and you know, they've been very 
proactive and they have a model compass which seems to to matter much more than to some others you know there are others who are just want to go there drive race cars and go away which is fine but i think i do think you know you've got a sense of responsibility to the to society because they've got a platform they've got millions of followers they've got the ability to influence um, opinions and influence views and, and share knowledge to a, a much wider range of people than any of us can so i think they sh- if they can use that for good and they, if they can use that to um to help other people then they should and it, you know i'm glad i was very glad and pleased to see sebastian i wasn't surprised because sebastian is somebody who who speaks his mind and you know speaks often about uh, topics outside of the sport but i was very glad to see him speak up so quickly and, and openly at, at the test in uh, in Barcelona. Yeah, I'd echo that. I think it was a courageous thing for him to do, really, when things were still quite so new and raw. And as you say, Alex, not every driver was particularly certain how they felt necessarily in that moment or whether they felt they had the ability or um, rationale to speak out. But Vettel did. I think he provided a good um, leadership moment there for drivers um, and I think probably helped... Um, push the agenda as well with Formula One because when you've got you know one of your most decorated drivers saying categorically I'm not going to race there even if the race is on um, you know that's quite a seismic thing to do and I think it helped push and nudge Formula One in the right direction on this issue. Yeah I'd agree with that I was I was in the room when Vettel was speaking he was sat alongside Leclerc and Verstappen uh, Alonso and Sonoda and what was interesting was that that obviously that was that was on the Thursday the second day of the test that was the first day of Russia's invasion but what what I thought found particularly interesting in in the answers given to that question you know what's your reaction to the war in a place where you know a country doing having an invasion where F1 goes racing in terms of Russia was Max Verstappen's point I don't think I've ever heard Verstappen come out and speaking the way he did in terms of you know these important issues, he said you you, you cannot you, you can't race in a country that's at, uh, that's at war. And he's the world champion now. Like he, his words mattered before because he was the up and coming superstar. Now he's the world champion. He's going to get asked these sort of questions a lot. So I thought it was um, I thought it was important and good that he he came out. Obviously, it wasn't quite as uh, as you say as, as as leading the way in terms of um, what Vettel said. But I thought at least a, a very good start uh, for Verstappen. And just just before we go on, actually to talk about Max Verstappen and Red Bull and what happened. And, uh, last week and indeed a big bit of news I just wondered if I could get your guys thoughts on on Haas at the moment and what impact of losing the Euro Cali money the Mazepin sponsorship Karim what did you make of I mean actually it's quite little running we saw of the Haas last week they had some major mechanical uh, problems losing most of that final day in the all white livery to an oil leak problem as you say closely aligned with what Ferrari are doing but at the same time you know they had a they sacrificed um, all of last year developing this car they've had in much more additional time because of their place in the world championship in terms of you know the the extra and reduced wind tunnel and CFD time that's afforded to the, uh, the you know the lowest placed teams in the constructors championship but the, the, the halfway through 2021 um, for uh, and the same at the front of the grid you know Mercedes is going to have um, reduced testing time compared to what it would have had before so what's your sense of how Haas have got on or is it because of so much else going on and so little running it's, it's even more difficult to tell what the situation is on the track for the team than, than, than normal I, I think it's the latter isn't it I mean they, it's clear they had some reliability issues um, so much else going on I just think it was very hard to gauge. Um, you know, who's even going to be driving the car? From Mick's perspective, I would imagine he's hoping that they don't sort out the other seat so he can do all three days of testing by himself and get lo- loads of mileage. <laughs> they look they look a bit separated from the, the 
it looks like there's maybe three teams a bit separate, maybe Williams slightly ahead, but Williams, Alpha and Haas look kind of roughly in a similar position to last year in terms of their relation to the rest. Alpine, I'm not really sure about because they had so many problems. I mean, is that the reading you got? Alpine <laughs> seemed to suggest that they're in better shape than than the lap times reflected. You know, they uh, they obviously lost a lot of running on the final day when Alonso's car went up in, in a whole lot of smoke, which is, uh, was I think, a hydraulic issue, wasn't it? There was some sort of hydraulic oh, yeah, issue that, yeah. that created the, the fire. But, it was an enormous um, fire. They seem to suggest that... Sorry? It was an enormous fire, from what it's worth. It was really, really, really took Well, off. yeah, but I think the the, uh, the the bigger underlying issue for lap time was they, I believe they couldn't use the DRS, which was around Barcelona is quite a bit of lap time, to be honest. If you consider the two straights, you know, it is, it's over half a second. It's probably six, seven tenths from what I recall around there. So it's, it's a good chunk of lap time. Um, I think... But Alan Permain was saying that he thought that if you, if you made all these caveats, you know, the fact they couldn't use DRS, they, they felt they were tracking Verstappen quite well. But then obviously they don't know... You know, yeah, exactly. Stappen was running in, so exactly. I think it's it's much harder to do these days, you know, because it's not just the fuel weight, right? It's the engine mode as well. The engine mode could be worth one point one seconds per lap around there, depending on which end of the range you're at. So, but for me, Alpine, it's a big year for Alpine, right? Because listen, they they represent the third biggest automotive manufacturer um, in you know small vehicles on the planet. And that team is, if you look at the two groups above them, it's VAG and Toyota who aren't in Formula One. So in terms of auto manufacturing groups, they are the biggest ones in the sport. They should be up there. They should be in the top three, four because they're a big manufacturer works team. They've got Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon. Great driver lineup. Two very, very fast drivers. So there's no shortage of ability there. It's a big year for them because they've got the new power unit. They finally you know, move to the, the same architecture that we've seen from people like Mercedes and Honda with a split turbo configuration. So I think it's a it's a big, big year for them to to really establish themselves as a proper works team, as they should be, you know, given their status as a global manufacturer. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They are saying that they're running uh, much heavier in terms of the fuel load that they were carrying around Barcelona. So that bodes well, if that is the case, compared to, you know, how Alan might stack up against other teams. The DRS thing is a bit worrying. Like, yeah, that, of course, not using it would give you lots and lots of lap time if you just, um, you know, opened it and and it was running it as normal. But the fact that it wasn't doing it was because it had concerns about high speed aero loads. Like there, there's obviously an issue that's got to, that's got to be fixed there. So it's not just a case of, oh, we didn't use it to disguise our performance. There's a, there's a problem that's got to be solved. And also from watching trackside, Alonso, particularly in the slower corners, was really having to hustle and, 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 and wrestle the car in a way that others just weren't. But it was also fascinating being able to see that because the cars, as, as was expected with going back to ground effect, they are faster in the high speed corners and they're slower in the slow speed corners. It's really interesting watching them. They look, they look really sluggish and not, nimble not formula one like but that's just the nature of the new aerodynamic formula and um, but yeah that's what does bring us on nicely to the key technical discussion 
porpoising, I, I'm put in mind the, uh, the the Blackadder quote, the prince and the porpoise and the pauper. Anyway, that, that was constantly in my mind last week because I'm a big Blackadder fan. Um, but it's, it, you know, talking about the teams that we've been talking about at the moment, Haas, Alfa Romeo in particular, there's a suggestion that things have gone particularly badly in terms of uh, porpoising with Alfa Romeo. And that, that, that's what's really holding the team back, causing a lot of damage. All the teams suffered lots of damage on their floors and things like that. But Ben, I mean, speaking to, I know Matt Q phoned up Tim Wright, um, uh, Alan Prost race engineer from the, from, the, from, from the 1980s, many years at McLaren. And he would just say, well, how did they not expect this to happen? This is what happened last time Ground Effect was in Formula One. So how is it that these organisations could have not foreseen what is a really fundamental problem with Ground Effect? I think probably just not looking for it. There's a, a lot's changed. They've had a lot else to deal with the teams, you know, with the pandemic and the delayed regulations and then the emergency regulations and the budget capping and, and everything else. Things sometimes just get lost in the in the sands of time and they only get rediscovered when they hit you around the face. So I remember having a conversation with, with Paddy Lowe and he was talking about how Red Bull stole a march and everyone in the V8 era on the blown diffuser trickery uh, and how that gave them a real edge. And he said, well, this is something that we'd done at Williams back in the 90s and you just forgot about it and he was kicking himself that he hadn't been quicker on the uptake with that because he'd been involved in a team that had pioneered it in an earlier phase of Formula One so these things do come around I think uh, Alpha really did suffer I think Bottas was staying in the in the the initial shakedown they did it was really really bad and then Barcelona was a bit better so it does seem that teams have been quickly on the case with him improving the situation. I had a conversation with Pat Simmons, who was in Barcelona as well, and he was saying that he didn't think it would be too long before the teams were on top of it. It's more of something that's caught them out. But I think it shows, again, that also simulations, they just don't quite translate into the real world. And, and you can think you've done your homework really well, but until you hit the track, you just don't know what the car's going to do. Uh, and I just think this is one of those unintended consequences. You've got different suspension systems. You know, there's more restrictions there in what you can do. Um, plus, obviously, the the massive overhaul in the aerodynamics and particularly the way the cars are meant to produce their downforce. I think those two things combined have created an unintended effect. Um, and it's now down to the the clever bods uh, to work out how to adjust their suspension and ride height to make sure it doesn't happen, happen I think again, or at least to a degree that people can cope with. I don't think it was an element of they didn't know it was going to happen, to be honest. I think they, they all expected it to. The trouble is the way the wind tunnels work, and this is what I was given to understand. Obviously, the wind tunnel, you, the car sits on a belt, and, and that belt, you can never get it as stiff as the asphalt on the track, you know, but it's just going to have that little bit of movement. So, therefore, they can't really simulate it. They, they, they couldn't necessarily simulate the porpoising. Um, and get an accurate read of how bad it was until they started running the cars. So I don't think they were completely naive to the fact that they might experience it. But I, I think the issue is nobody really knew how bad it would be until they ran the cars. And I can tell you from, from watching the cars going down into turn one at Barcelona, it is it's almost, it is comical how, how much they are bouncing. You look at the rear ends, it's, it's shockingly, shockingly soft and, and springy. Um, but Karun, I mean... And so just very quickly, you said, um, Ben, you mentioned, you know, these issues rearing their heads during the sort of the filming days and shakedowns. I understand that at least two teams had to stop 
shakedowns because the problem was so bad they were damaging the cars so much obviously you know it's not you're not going to see that visibly because they all run behind closed doors but yeah that's when it, it sort of really really shocked a lot of the squads but Karin I mean what what would that what is that like as a driver you know how how serious a problem is it for a team say there is a team maybe at the back of the grid that doesn't get on on top of the issue all year or, or even as quickly as some of the squads at the bigger teams how potentially problematic could that be for a driver come qualifying come the race it is uncomfortable. I mean, to be honest, we've had it in sports cars for many years. And the other thing we haven't talked about is the fact you've got now the shorter profile tyres or lower profile tyres. So there's less squash in the tyre itself, which has exacerbated the problem. Um, you know, you had porpoising in the early 80s of ground effects. You had porpoising throughout the sports cars in all the different eras. It's, it's you know, I remember you go down the Mulsanne straight and the car's constantly doing that. Uh, it's easy to lock a wheel and it is uncomfortable and you do feel in your back and your spine and, you know, it does rattle the whole car, to be honest. It's, you know, there's there's obviously unusual loads going through the pickup points of the suspension and through the bodywork and the floor, as you mentioned, you know, it will destroy the floors on, on some of these cars. And as we know with the ground effects, the floor is the most critical part of the car in terms of producing the downforce for performance. So if a driver you know, runs wide and damages a curb on lap five, for example, that's going to ruin the downforce they've got for the the rest of the race. And similarly, if the porpoising is so bad that it starts to damage the floor in the first half of the race, by the time you get to the second or third stint of the race, you're just going to be going backwards because you've lost downforce. So it's a big trade-off. Um, you know, ironically, of course, if the car still had the interconnected hydraulic suspensions, then they would have been able to control all of this much better. But frankly... Looking at it from the outside, I think it's great. I think, you know, it's it's a, it's another thing that the brilliant engineering minds in Formula 1 will have to get on top of. And they will. It's, it's a balancing act of performance versus reliability and comfort, right? If you... It is uncomfortable for the driver. You you know, it, it does... It, it really is not a comfortable feeling when you get to the end of straight and you're coming to the braking zone. But if you have to trade off lifting the car up five mil to stop the porpoising and therefore lose a bunch of downforce. I know which one I'd rather have. So, uh, and, and this is where that trade-off is going to come of where, you know, how much are they willing to sacrifice in terms of peak uh, peak performance and peak downforce versus comfort and reliability. Oh, Karun, you've given me an idea of a topic to pursue in how they're going to approach racing, bearing in mind if they do damage those incredibly important uh, floors. That, you know, well, Bahrain is do. an interesting one, isn't it? Bahrain is, is a really interesting one because you've got the exit curb from turn two. You know, if you run wide on that kink, uh, sometimes to save tyres, you know, people use that exit curb. You've got the exit of turn seven. You know, I think, again, if you run wide, it can be quite aggressive. Exit of 12, you know, there's, there's certainly three corners where the the exit curb can be quite aggressive. And especially these days with the flexi floor, if it's loaded up and, and rubby against the curb, that could be a real issue. Indeed. Well, the other the other element, you know, that, that we can you know, sort of start to, to, to discuss and think about because the drivers were asked about it, they've, they've felt the feeling, is what have these new cars, what are they going to be like when it comes to overtaking and passing and following, better racing, Okay, I mean, it's a, it's a whole different question whether more than one or two teams will be able to win. But in terms of making overtaking different, what came before the drivers have been given uh, been given their thoughts. And what's really interesting is that it sounds both 
better and potentially worse. It was quite a lot of confusing statements. There's the suggestion now that the rules have worked. You know, the air is being thrown up in a different way by the by the floors and the rear wings so that you don't get the mass loss of downforce at around the two or three second mark. But there is a suggestion that actually that does kick in around one second if you're in if your car's in that spot. And then if you get a little bit closer, it's much better to follow. But George Russell came out and outright said the slipstream effect is much reduced and there's a big problem. So Ben, what did you make of the early indications of of how F1's overtaking problem has it been solved? Has it been made worse? I mean, obviously we don't know because there's been no racing, but those statements were a bit strange, right? Yeah, I think uh, it's... I'm always wary of getting too excited about these kind of big pronouncements that, you know, Formula 1 is going to fundamentally change. I think it was Alonso said that, uh, you know, DRS is going to remain in Formula 1 forever. And if you if you need DRS and you're committed to retaining it, you're not going to have a completely fundamental shift in how the Formula 1 cars race each other. It's not going to suddenly become catering racing overnight, is it? Um, so also, I think there's going to be an element of... Um, trial and error with Formula 1 itself you know they've they've put a lot of uh, engineering power and computing power into formulating these rules but as Rob Smedley has said it's still a work in progress and they'll probably have to adjust things as they find how it works in reality and I think that that trade-off you mentioned is quite interesting so you can see from the the vortices that were created in the spray when there was some wet running the the air is definitely moving across the cars differently so they've achieved that fundamental you know first principle but you know if the car in front is punching a big hole in the air for the car behind you will have a certain slipstream effect and if you narrow that hole by making the 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 cars wake thinner then you'd expect that slipstream effect to be reduced but like Lando Norris said if you're following in a train of cars the old DRS train, will that be different? So will you get more power if you're the second or third car? Will they all be closer together? Because you can now follow closer through the higher speed corners, maybe. But I think fundamentally, whatever happens, you're going to need to get within DRS range, open your DRS and then use your DRS to overtake. So, you know, probably the best you can hope for is that, you know, as Formula One is trying to do generally with things like budget capping and um overall approach you just have more cars closer together in races and therefore more opportunities for various cars to pass each other but i don't think the racing fundamentally will change karun what did you make of the comments that the drivers were making in terms of how things felt behind the wheel bearing in mind as you say all the caveats that come with testing you, you know it's not like they're all running on the same fuel load at the start of a grand prix at that stage look we gotta give it the benefit of the doubt <laughs> the theory is sound um i don't think we're gonna see the whatever, 25, 26% improvement in, in raceability that the, the plan started off with talking about. But even if we see a 10, 12% difference in, in improvement, and it's hard to quantify that really, isn't it? You know, like, by what metric can you measure that? It's yeah, so raceability is a bit of a weird concept anyway, isn't it? Yeah. It means different things in different circumstances to different yeah, people. Exactly. So for me, the way I would judge it is based on are we seeing cars being able to follow more closely around the sort of one and a half to two second mark and are we able to see more overtaking moves happening as a result of that rather than as a result of huge tire deltas or drs and and i think that's the way to judge it right so um and that will be really important because obviously pirelli is pushing to have supposedly tires that are 
much less prone to degradation and overheating than before. So you'd expect this year that the the tyre deltas that we talk about will be reduced and therefore it will be harder to get closer to the car that's on different tyres to you or um, supposedly more worn tyres. So this will be the tra- this will be the other important trade-off that Karun's hinted at there. You'll need these fundamental elements of the aerodynamics to work better because you won't have the tyre offset in theory. Yeah, and I think ultimately we, we won't really know. You know, we can all come up with theories. And in testing, it's so different. I, I read George's comments, but, you know, I imagine Mercedes are running on like a sub- you know, sub free practice one engine mode and the car in front of him could have been running on, on a, say a Q1 engine mode. Uh, And all of a sudden... You're never going to catch it, are you? Yeah, you're never (laughs) going to catch it. So, uh, you know, I hope he's wrong. And, and, you know, I don't mean to be sort of uh, disrespectful of, of what he's saying, but I just, you know, I think we don't really know until we get to the first, first race. Well, we've discussed um, sort of the, the, what we expect might be the, the current back of the grid pecking order, not necessarily in a certain order, or the, the, those, those teams are indeed there. I know Williams in particular, very confident that they're not entering another year of being a back marker. There's certain bullishness around that squad at the moment. Um, but let's let's come on to what we might generally term the front of the grid, particularly is how that it ended up last year, and talk about Red Bull, because that's, again, particularly newsworthy as we're recording this podcast, because Max Verstappen, it's just been announced, has signed a new contract that will keep him at Red Bull until the end of the 2028 season, reportedly worth around £40 million a year, which is, I'm sure, pretty nice for him. Um, but Ben, what kind of statement is that? in light of the new era that Formula One is entering. How can, how can Max possibly know where Red Bull will be in the pecking order? You know, he's just won a championship with them, but there's, there's every chance that they could be off the pace. So what does it say about how he feels about that team and about his future career? Well, confident, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you know, they do have, you know, pro- probably the greatest Formula One designer of all time, certainly of the present moment, locked down still. Um, I think... He obviously gets and his management understand the importance of stability, continuity. I mean, loyalty is something the Verstappens have always talked about when there was a lot more noise about whether he would stay with Red Bull during their less competitive phase and might, might you know, take overtures from Mercedes. You know, Jos was very clear about, you know, how much Red Bull had done to push Verstappen's career forward and they they almost felt they owed a debt to Red Bull. I think... You could say that that's paid now because he's won the world championship um, that they hoped for. Um, so the fact that he wants to continue there means he must feel very at home. And he, you know, he must have seen what's happened with the likes of Lewis staying so loyal to Mercedes. I mean, one of the elements that's talked about with Lewis being such a great competitor is how loyal he's been to his team and how that strength of relationship then helps you know, deliver success on the track. And Max has an opportunity to recreate that in his own environment. He's not going to be able to go to Mercedes and do that same thing quickly. And every other team is not really in a position yet to compete at that level. So he's, you know, he's done what he can in the only team he can really do it at this time. And okay, it's a long contract, you know, maybe the longest ever, but that doesn't mean there aren't break clauses and ways out of it if things don't go the way he expects. You know, he's got he's a world champion now. He's one off the best drivers in the world, certainly on the grid. So, you know, he can dictate his own destiny to a certain extent. And Karim, what does this what does this deal say about Red Bull? I, I wondered in twenty twenty one whether the team was maybe sacrificing potential 
you know, resources, things like that to, uh, for 2022 to push on to get Verstappen's world title because, you know, what a reward that is if you have a driver wanting to stay on at your team. And he said that on the slowing down lap after he'd won the title. You know, let's do this for another 15 years. You know, they, it ticked that box of, you know, they, they got him into a position where he really wants to be there for the long term. But, you know, it's an amazing moment at the moment for Red Bull. They've done that massive sponsorship deal with Oracle. That's probably going to help when it comes to paying um, Verstappen's massive wages. But equally, you know, it's going into a new era where it can't know where it is. So what did you make of what the team has done by locking up Verstappen? I mean, it's a win for them. You know, I think unquestionably it's a win for them. I'm, I'm always a little bit surprised when a driver commits for that long a period of time. Uh, frankly, I can't think of any driver who's committed for a six-year period ever, really. You know, even even Schumacher, Ferrari and stuff, they were always sort of two, three years at a time, wasn't it? Um, so it's quite a extraordinary move, really, from all sides. And I think from Red Bull's side, it, it, it's a big win. You know, obviously, Max is going to have lots of money in the bank. But if you just look at the, the level that he's driven at for the last two seasons in F1, there's only one other bloke on the grid who's driven at that level consistently well. And he's never going to join Red Bull. So, uh, and, and also, he's he's in the twilight of his career. You know, I can't see Lewis staying on much for, you know, for for certainly all those six years that Max is going to stay at Red Bull. So I think the, yeah, it, it's a it's a big win for for them. I think it's it's a similar thing as McLaren's deal with Lando. You know, that caught, that caught me by surprise as well because I wouldn't have expected Lando to commit this early. You know, he had another year on his contract and I would have expected him to just, you know, just wait and see, right? Wait and see where the chips fall with... Um, where, where, what happens with Lewis and what happens with um, with competitive order, you know, and, and, and see. But clearly he's... So we've got the situation now, haven't we, where, you know, you've got... In the long term, it's going to be George at Mercedes, Charles at Ferrari, Max at Red Bull, Lando at McLaren. You know, all of those are committed in the long term. It sounds like Carlos is about to commit as well in the long term for, to Ferrari. And that's a great lineup, actually, for Ferrari. You know, I still think as long alongside Mercedes, Ferrari have the best driver lineup in F one. Uh, I firmly agree. So, yeah, the chips chips are starting to fall for the long term, which makes silly season a bit dull, really, for us, isn't it? Because it's always quite good fun when you get to July, August, and all the stuff happens. But uh, yeah, the next the next few years for Max are well and truly settled. And those are your big four as well, aren't they? You know, it's it's, it's looking. I mean, I, you know, obviously, it's just a shakedown test, but it looks like McLaren in quite good shape. Ferrari seem to be in decent shape. It'd be great if they can join Red Bull and Mercedes. I mean, George seemed to suggest that Mercedes was behind McLaren and Ferrari, I and mean, it could obviously be. And Lando said exactly the, the opposite. And, yeah, exactly. So everyone's kind of you know making some noise at and, this and then time. To Russell then claimed he didn't do mind games despite having literally just engaged in some. <laughs> of course you do mind games. You're at the top of Formula One, you have to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that you know that's what we hope that as these new rules unfold, that you have McLaren and Ferrari, these two sleeping giants kind of properly coming back into the mix. And then that would be great, you know, to have in the long term, those four drivers all going at it every season not knowing who's going to be on top at a given race fantastic and that's exactly what Formula 1 needs with the Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Karun, in terms of thinking about these young drivers getting really long-term deals, is that, is it, or maybe it's too simplistic, but would you say it's a consequence of these drivers starting their Formula 1 careers much, much earlier and that they can almost afford to say, right, I'm going to pledge my future for the next four, five, six years in Verstappen's case to one team because I can A, you know, I enjoy working here. I can see where they go, but also I can I can bank my money now, and then I can make my bigger moves later if if, if that makes sense. I don't know. I think I think it's you know it's driven as much from the teams as it is from the drivers, though, isn't it? You know, it's the teams are pushing for these long term deals, are trying to commit to these drivers for the long term. Maybe the drivers are seeking stability, but you know, none of those guys we've just talked about are short of a few quid, are they? You know, they're not they're not ever. <laughs> they're not ever going to be scrounging around for the pennies and EDBs on toast. So I don't think it's a it's a financial security for them, which is why I, I say it surprises me to hear the drivers come in for so long because, you know, who knows in, in two years' time whether that pecking order is going to stay the same, you know? is Are we going to see... Um, are we going to see McLaren, for example take a big step forward once the new wind tunnel comes along and the new simulator comes along. And if they do, then Lando has put himself in the hot seat and in the right position. Uh, but equally, if they doesn't, then why, you know, is he right to completely shut the door on a potential opportunity at Mercedes? Because if you were, if you were Toto Wolf and Lewis is about to retire, when you look around the market, you've got to say Lando's got to be pretty high up on the list of drivers that you'd that you'd want as a replacement, but he's now shut that door. So that that's what surprised me a little bit that he's he was willing to shut that door uh, early on because uh, you know he would fancy his chances up against George. I think they you know they've been competitive against each other in junior formula, and they um, uh, yeah I think I think you know from a Mercedes standpoint, Lando and George would be a strong replacement for Lewis and George. But, that's but do you not- think that he would ever countenance that? Because I, I feel like, I mean, when Lando first joined Formula 1, I didn't, I wasn't totally convinced that he had this kind of character, but he seems to have evolved quite quickly into an alpha character in Formula 1, you know, a proper team leader. Certainly the pace um, is there for that. So in this situation, you kind of have probably everybody reading the room and thinking, well, the fact that George has got the drive alongside Lewis and Lewis is Corinne said is in the twilight of his career. He's not going to sign a new six-year contract, is he, to to, <laughs> to go on until uh, 28. So it, Toto is basically saying to Formula One, George, as long as he doesn't tank, he's our guy. You know, he's our future alpha. The clerk is already that at Ferrari. Um, obviously, science is pushing hard, but, you know, he's clearly not the number one there at the moment. Red Bull have made their statement. They're now building their future around Max for the long term. So no one is no one who wants to be a number one or have a chance of winning a title is going to go up along alongside Max. So for Norris, it's really the only it's the best option is to commit to McLaren and be their number one rather than chance his arm and hope that he can oust George who will have however many years of a head start being integrated with the Mercedes outfit. I dis where I disagree is I think apart from Red Bull, where where Max is clearly the number one, 
I think the other three teams actually run drivers at equal status. I, I do think Mercedes and McLaren are very good at giving both drivers equal opportunities. There's, you know, strategically... The Mercedes were like that, but, I mean, Bottas would disagree, wouldn't he? He had to, he had to give Lewis a victory in Russia in, was yeah, it, Yeah, but because he was out of the championship battle. 100%, right. 100% I back what Mercedes did there because they were in a championship fight against Ferrari. They didn't know that Vettel was going to implode over the rest of that season. So, uh, I think certainly for the... If you look at... If you were a team boss... The first half of the year, you give both drivers equal opportunity. Bottas won in Melbourne. You know, he's had the opportunity to win the first race of the year before. And he's got all the chances. And if he was leading the championship um, by convincing margin and Lewis wasn't, then they would back him. And I think, you know, I think Mercedes, McLaren and even Ferrari, while I know historically in the Schumacher era, they obviously had a clear number one, number two. But I think they... And in the Fernando days, they did as well against Felipe. But I think it's a different Ferrari now. And I, you know, Carlos had every opportunity as as Charles did last year. They had, you know, the upgrades coming at the same time. They had the same opportunities in terms of testing and driving the old car and all the other prep. And, you know, he ended up outscoring Charles on the, on the championship points uh, at the end and got, got some podiums and things. So, uh, yeah, that's where I sort of disagree with you. I don't think there is necessarily a clear number one, number two in any team apart from Red Bull. And it's, it's very clear there. Let's, let's put it that way when it comes to Red Bull. I wonder, do you guys think, is there a certain, a certain uh, flavour of 2019 maybe when it comes to particularly at Mercedes, if you think about how Mercedes arrived at the first test in Barcelona with essentially a B-spec car, a car that was developed months earlier and put into production so that they could get a baseline feeling on it before the real big, you know, the, the, the big upgrade push came for the next uh, the next test because everything, had, you know, was that further more advanced in the wind tunnels and, and all their programmes and things like that. Because what, looking at the car's trackside and, and, and in the pit lane and everything we've seen, the Red Bull looks very, very complex and, and intricate. And there's suggestions for the team that they're not going to be adding much from, sort of publicly from the team that they're not going to be adding much for Bahrain, but the expectation is from various sources, various reports that they are going to be coming with a big, big upgrade. Mercedes in particular, I thought, looks rather rather like it did at the start of the first test in 2019 with something big coming for Bahrain. Now, of course, we don't know their plans, but I just wondered, does that does that stack up with anything that you guys had heard or you what you feel? Maybe, maybe Ben, if we come to you first, because of course you were, you were there on the ground in 2019 when it turned up with essentially a, a brand new car. You're right. In that situation, they it was all part of a, a long premeditated plan. You know, the, 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 the process of getting the parts signed off, made, ready to go is too long to be able to react from one test to the other. So you would think that Mercedes, it worked well for them that time, that if they could, they would apply a similar logic, you know, but it sort of depends on how, you know, what your exact plan is, how rushed you are, whether things are going according to plan um, based on what you've, you've predicted and simulated. I mean, it's interesting that Ferrari are saying that they're, planning the opposite basically everything's so new we've got our baseline car we just need to work on understanding that better before we you know we start complicating things further by adding parts and that's the the difficult line to tread because this is all so new everything so much has changed you could get lost quite easily whereas i think back in 2019 mercedes were what's that season three of their new concept so their understanding of how the basic car worked was a lot more established. So they obviously felt confident enough that they could 
essentially run two different cars in two consecutive tests and not lose their way. I'm not so sure under these rules that you'd be able to do that um, so confidently this time. But we'll see when they when they rock up how different the car looks. There's an element this year, isn't it, of the upgrades are going to come thick and fast throughout the year. You know, they every time they run the car, obviously we have to keep in mind they've got reduced wind tunnel time. Um, and the cost cap the as well. Scale. And the cost cap. So every time they run these cars in the wind tunnel, they're just learning so much and they're putting on more and more performance. So it's a cycle, right? You know, I think if teams bring upgrades to Bahrain and, and they have a good result to score points at Bahrain, they're not again going to bring a whole raft of updates to Saudi Arabia. Um, and, and I think, therefore, there's a cycle we're going to see here where the, the, the form guide is going to ebb and flow depending on when people are bringing performance parts. You know, it might well be the case that Ferrari's production sort of design and production cycle means that the parts won't be ready for Bahrain, but they'll come to Melbourne, whereas the next the other teams might be thinking, well, let's get the three flyaways done and then we'll come back to Imola for upgrades. And, for you know, I, I think we're going to see the form guide ebb and flow a little bit because of that. Point A, point B, I think also we might see more circuit-specific results just because of the way that the rules are. Um talking to a couple of aero guys uh, last week they were saying that you know the cars are obviously it's so sensitive with the ride height now in terms of how much performance downforce you generate on the floor that if we get to a track where you have to lift the car up another three four five mil uh, just because it's bumpy or it's got big curbs that could move them out of their optimum aero window much more than last year uh, and it, you know some cars get affected more than that so i think we'll see much more um ebbing and flowing in terms of the form certainly in the midfield you know which are we've seen in recent years super tight well it's interesting I, I definitely don't think any teams will be wanting to bring massive upgrades to Saudi Arabia and risk all those uh, heavily and uh, um, um, costly produced parts being smashed to bits on the on the walls on the outside of the uh, very high speed track there um, but yeah let's uh, let's bring this podcast to a close but Karuna I just, I just wanted to, to get your thoughts about the next test, uh, the TV coverage is back. What have you got? What have you got planned? How how is the test match special uh, coverage going to be deployed when it comes to Bahrain next week? Well, we've got a baby due in the next five days, so there's a high chance that I will not be watching testing and I'll be covered in wet, smelly nappies. But uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll good luck, Karoon. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll look forward to catching the highlights at the, at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> Look, you know, I think you know we'll have it. We'll have it on in the background and watch it. I think it's much more. Um, you know, I've been given to understand actually that some of the teams are not going to be able to bring the parts they want in time for the test, uh, and certainly there's uh, some of the big teams are talking about bringing the parts straight away to the race. So, what's been good for them, I think, is the correlation between what they've seen on track versus their CFD and wind tunnel has been good so far. And therefore, they're confident enough that they can bring the parts straight to the race weekend, rather than bring it to the to the Bahrain test. Um, so yeah, listen, it, it'll. I will certainly be watching day three very closely um, because that's when we really start to see performance get unlocked. I think, and um, yeah, we'll just wait and see. Well, Green, all the best with uh, with the birth and everything. I hope it goes very well for you. As Banderson knows, you know, it's it's about to turn the world upside down yet again. Yeah, more grey hairs, much less sleep. Exactly, all of that. Best best of luck, mate. Thank you.
and not to rub it in, but I have no idea what that's like and don't want to for the foreseeable future. But anyway, let's let <laughs> my sad personal life aside. Let's bring the podcast to a close. Ben Karun, thank you very much for joining me, and thank you to everybody listening along. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Here, you'll join a community where diversity equals vitality, where support and empowerment lifts spirits and propels ideas forward. Fearless, innovative, connected. UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.